0: Welcome to Define You Radio, the place to be for real talk and real tips to help you define your personal and professional life. Class is in session with your host, the Southern Belle of Bold, Valencia Griffin Wallace. Pens and papers ready? Class is now in
1: session. Hello, hello, and welcome to the 2018 season of Define You Radio. I am your host, the Southern Belle of Bold, Valencia Griffin-Wallace. If this is your first time listening into Define You Radio, thank you so much for joining us. Define You Radio classes and sessions is the place to get the life lessons, strategies, and more to help you define life on your terms. Make sure you are connected to all things Define You on Facebook. That includes Define You Movement and Define You Live, which will be happening at the end of the year. To find out more, go to DefineYouRadio.com. Well, this month is the month of love, right? However, we're talking about purpose. That's the series we're doing this month, and we are joined by the beautiful Mm, resilient, I think that's a perfect word for her, Katie Holbert. And I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. As you guys know, with my southernness, I can butcher a good word. (laughs) So just to tell you a little bit about Miss Katie, she is a cult and abuse survivor. So of course we're going to hit on those topics. But most of all, she is an overcomer. She has clawed and fought her way to find a life of joy. And you guys know I'm all about overcoming, fighting, and clawing my way wherever I need to go. So I'm already loving this lady. She now teaches others how to do the same. Her book, Girl, Please, is filled with practical tools on how to shed the world's expectations and find your own voice. It's all good. So, with that being said, let's go ahead and welcome Miss Katie to the show. Hey, hey! Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to to have you on. Um, and this is your first time on the show, but I'm pretty sure it's not going to be the last because I have a feeling it's going to be one of my top interviews. So, with that being said. I just want to just kind of roll on into it. You live in Colorado, which is very interesting. Um, they have really good air there. True. <laughs> Me and my husband did like um, an epic road trip last year. So we drove through from Louisiana to Canada, and of course we passed through Colorado. And I was like, the air smells like the sunny water. I don't know how else to explain it. It's just.
0: Oh my gosh, that's. Literally the best explanation. It's exactly what it's like.
1: Like I've never heard that before. But yeah, that's exactly it. What well, if, <laughs> if you? you nailed it. And I don't know. To me, it makes sense. But I was actually expecting the air not to be so fresh because we all know what's legal there. Right. <laughs> so. I'm thinking we're going to drive through and be real lightheaded or something. I'm expecting right. to drive through a cloud of smoke. But I was like, oh, my gosh, like their air smells like heaven. Like, yeah, I need to bottle it and sell it there.
0: Yeah, I don't know how you would actually do that, but it sounds like a great business plan if you could figure it out.
1: I, I, I mean, who would know? Hey, yeah. who who thought the fidget spinner would take off, you know? Right. The little, it's such a story behind that. The woman who actually invented it, yeah, didn't um, renew her patent. What? So yeah, it's a whole it's a whole story behind oh. it. I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad for her. She created yeah. it like years upon years ago, yeah. and didn't wasn't able to renew her patent. Didn't have the money. It wasn't going anywhere. And um, a company, I'm not sure what company, picked it up and now they have fidget spinners that you could get all gold for, like, $900, and she gets not a dime. Oh, my gosh. Oh,
0: but <laughs> does that make you sick? Oh, that and, would make me
1: sick if I was her. Oh, Lord. You, yeah. It, and, and, guys, I know you all are thinking, like, okay, what does this have to do with the show? But <laughs> we're talking about overcoming adversity, finding your voice and everything else you don't. And if you don't think that that's overcoming adversity, Oh, right Lord, there, to you know, you could have been a millionaire. I mean, I would, I don't know. I'd put myself in a closet or something for the rest of my life.
0: Oh, my gosh, yeah. I'd be a, just a big puddle on the ground for a while, that's for sure. Yes, for, <laughs> for, take a minute forever.
1: to get over it.
0: Yeah. yeah, basically. Yeah. Let's, I'm giving myself the benefit <laughs> of the doubt here.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, Miss Katie, let's talk a little bit about your past okay. and the things you had to overcome because I'm um, – I've never met anyone in my entire existence that has been in a cult.
0: It's interesting. People are always a little bit fascinated by it because it is strange, right? I mean, you just think, like, what? How does that happen? How do you get involved in that? How do you get stuck right. in that? That's kind of the questions people are always like, how didn't? Why didn't your parents get out? Why didn't they? But you know, it's like anything, right? We get you get something in your you know, you get some teaching or you, you start to believe something and it's just a little bit off-center, right? It's not super bad. It's just a right. little bit off and you're like, oh, there's a little truth to that. You know, we've all been there where things are a little bit gray, right? And right. then 20 years later, you found that you've gone on this path that instead of being straight, you know, you're just three degrees off from the middle, but, you know, 20 miles down, three degrees off from the middle ends up being 100 degrees off from the middle, right? Right. And so um, that's kind of... <laughs> I think that's kind of what happened and it was, uh, it was a cult based in the shepherding movement and some people know about it, some people don't. 70s and 80s, it was a really big kind of movement within the charismatic church and um, you know all the big leaders at the time, Pat Robertson and you know, all the, the Jack Hayford and all the big guys back in, the, in that season uh, were all about it. They were all for it. Um, of course, they all changed their tune about 20 years into it because it got so warped and they all, <laughs> they all, you know, if you look it up in Wikipedia or you look it up anywhere online, you'll see kind of all the, where they all kind of rejected it. And um, I guess ask for forgiveness for being a part of it and for supporting it because it, it had so much potential to go wrong and it did, as these things do. Um, and so it was, you know, the kind of basic concepts were that um, church leaders had ultimate authority and ultimate power over your life. And it was no longer about um, asking God for things. It was asking leadership for things. And, um, and then they would, quote, unquote, talk to God on your behalf and tell you mm-hmm. what he said, that kind of thing. So then it starts to go into this weird, uh, crazy place where then, you know, they can say and do whatever they want. You get somebody in there who's got some skewed, flawed ideas of control and manipulation And they're in charge, and then everything goes south real fast. And that was kind of the gist of how that all went down. And it it was, you know, it was a huge movement throughout um, the world, really. There was a huge movement in Europe with it, within the United States. um, And they all, eventually all the leadership rejected it. (laughs) Everybody that started it was like, oh, no, we don't want to, no, 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 that's not what we meant. Right. Um, But, you know, the cat's out of the bag at that point, so. So yeah, That gives you kind of a general picture.
1: Well, mm-hmm. I've watched enough documentaries. I know that's probably like almost naive of me, but I've, I've watched enough documentaries about different things. I'm a very curious type of Southern Belle. But yeah. um, so my, my question would be this, like, did you, you grew up in it. Did you grow yes. up in it like you were an adult before you got out or? No, my,
0: my family, um, my family left slash okay. got kicked out at, uh, when I was 12. So my, my father decided the uh, leadership and said it was like something a light kind of turned on at some point, And for him, and he was like, wait a minute, this is jacked up. <laughs> and he was in leadership okay. at the time. And, um, and he kind of put his foot down, and so we got uh, kicked. The I don't, you know, that's a gray whether we left or got kicked out. It was kind of a mutual thing. But once we left, we got discommunicated from everybody that we knew because we lived, you know, in a um, communal type environment as well. So it was kind of just a complete culture shock as we moved away, lost all of our friends, had to start over, that kind of thing.
1: So. At 12, did you understand what was going on? Did you understand why y'all left? Did your father, you uh, know, did your no. family sit down and have like a big powwow and say, hey, this is what's <laughs> going on? Or it's like, hey, this has been my world. Now my world is different.
0: It was more of the latter. They didn't really have the skills at the time to know how to handle it. They right. just knew we needed to get out, right? So um, but they didn't know what to do with us. So it was almost like, okay, that time never happened. We're just going to move on. And so, unfortunately, kind of what I learned from that was, oh, just cut that off and pretend that part of your life didn't happen. But really, <laughs> I've got an arm, you know, just to give, you know, an analogy here is I've got an arm that's bleeding, and instead of healing it, we're just going to kind of lop it off and pretend it doesn't exist. And that just created greater bleeding, really. You know, it's just um, super counterproductive to do it that way, but... They didn't really have a skill set to, to know what to do, and so but, you know, that was kind of their idea.
1: <laughs> we do that in life though sometimes, oh my or it so really much. painful. I would mm-hmm. just rather act like that part of my life didn't happen.
0: Oh yeah, hundred you know? percent. We all just want to dissociate on some level, and then, and sometimes it's a necessary thing. You know, part of being in the cult when I was a kid was there's a lot of sexual abuse that went on. There a lot of you know, it's I talk about it in very general terms, but you know, there was a lot of very horrible things that went on behind closed doors. But and so you learn to dissociate, and it's actually a gift during that season of life because it's the only way to survive. It um, is to just check out. You know, this isn't happening, um, and it's a it's a very extreme form of denial. Um, but it's it's actually a gift that we're able to do that to survive. Unfortunately. Um, if you don't go through some deep healing (laughs) of that stuff, you learn to do that all the time and you just start doing it in, in, uh, in your whole life without even realizing you're doing it. It's just a way to cope. Um, and in minor, I think in minor situations, it's actually helpful. It's not, it's not a horrible thing to do. Sometimes you do just need to check out to be able to function if you're in a crisis situation, right? Like, right. Processing the, the emotion of what's happening when your house is burning down, probably not great. You need to get into it like denial mode, go in and get your cat, and then you can cry about it in the evening. You know, what? Right. Well, right. I mean, I'm being stupid about it, but you get what I'm saying. Like, sometimes it's an actual effective tool, um, but it's meant to be a crutch. It's not meant to be a permanent solution. But we sometimes aren't really taught how to go from it being a crutch um, and realizing that that's all that it is and then learning how to heal. Sometimes that gets missed along the way and so we all kind of just keep doing it, just keep doing it, just keep doing it. But that's why things don't get fixed and they don't get solved um, because we go into that mode, right?
1: I'm guessing that's where you suffered the abuse was in that situation also?
0: Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of um, I mean it was Everything from there was kind of subtle to extreme brainwashing. There was a lot of fear-based, everything from, like we had a private school, right? That's part of this, you know, you do the schooling, everything is it's very inbred in that sense. Um, and, you know, the threat was if you acted out in class, meaning you passed a note or you made a noise, um, you could get a spanking from the principal. And the principal had a,
1: <laughs>
0: this is super fun. Um, he had a paddle that had 18 holes in it. Yeah, I mean, that just gives you a minor idea of the kind of things that went on. Um, and so everything was fear. It was rule by fear. So even if you didn't get the abuse, you were so terrified of having the abuse, it's almost as if you, <laughs> it happened to you anyway. Because it's just, it's, you, li- you start to live in that fight or flight. I ended up uh, developing some severe PTSD later in life um, because you just learn to live in fight or flight constantly. Because like, you are in constant fear for your life on every level,
1: so. which is
0: horrible. And a lot of people deal with that. And I, I, think, I think PTSD is very misunderstood. Um, and people just think veterans have it or whatnot. And people, but it's actually a lot more common than people think. And it's pretty much a very standard normal thing if you went through any sort of physical or sexual abuse. And it's a real problem and it has real solutions, but it's just so misunderstood and maybe, maybe not even misunderstood, just not understood. Um, it's kind of something people just don't really get and which I would love to see more that become more commonplace, the understanding. But
1: <laughs> so that's a side note. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm glad I loved your side note. I realized and I, I wrote about it after I got out of a domestic violence relationship First time ever in my life I ever experienced that, and it was it was the last time to where I was physically, you know, being abused. Yeah. Horribly. So and I, I when I talk about it now, you know, and it was, I don't know, like forever ago. I was in my early twenties. So, but I remember mm-hmm. it like it was yesterday. And I could put it on my calendar, so it was very much that I understand when you say a safe living in fear.
0: And then mm-hmm. when I got
1: out of the situation, I I had nightmares. Right. And, and time I saw anyone that resembled that person, if my breath stopped. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it wasn't it wasn't until I realized, you know, of course, years later. That the things that I went through afterwards were PTSD because people, mm. like you said, you think just veterans and people that's been in a war, but mm-hmm. you you did go through a war in a sense, right? You know, yeah, so, a war. So it it applies, and I think more people do need to realize and address it. You know, when people tell you, "Oh, just get over it," "Oh, just get over it," but they wouldn't say that to you know someone that was in a war, they wouldn't say, oh, just get over it. And it is so much more to that because otherwise, you know, the statistics, and I don't know them, the statistics of someone that has been abused Mm -hmm. becoming an abuser is really high. Yeah. But that's because in between being abused and becoming the abuser, people are telling you to get over it instead of telling you how to overcome it. Yeah, and so
0: one piece of what's misunderstood is that it is you start to, your body, um, there's there's a physical element to it that's not even emotional, that you're not even in control of, It has to do with your hypothalamus. I could go into that, that's a whole other hour I could talk about that, but um, I've done a lot of research around this, and mm-hmm. it's not, you don't even have control. Like, when you said before, like, you would see someone that looks, you know, like your abuser, um... Even to take that to another step, what happens when you're raised with a lot of abuse is um, you just, you know, little sounds or uh, the energy of something or just even the feeling of adrenaline. Um, And it could be a happy adrenaline, right? Something happy and fun is happening. You're skiing. You're doing something fun. And the adrenaline, what it does is it triggers your hypothalamus to go into fight or flight because that's what it's trained to do because before fear is also adrenaline and mm-hmm. fear will release that adrenaline, and you've trained your hypothalamus to now go into fight or flight, and then all of a sudden you're in panic, or in a, what I call high alert mode, um, where you're all of a sudden scanning your room, and you just feel really out of place and really unsafe, and nothing happened. <laughs> like, literally nothing right. happened. You were doing something super fun, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're in full meltdown, and the, the, uh, the lack of understanding um, around that is people are like, what what is going on? You're acting crazy, or you this? And it's really not, you, your body has been trained to do something. And there's an actual process of having to untrain yourself, um, physically even. I mean, there's obviously emotional stuff and all those things that need to happen, but I think we all are all kind of aware of that at some level. But there is more to it than that. And it's not, you know, somebody's not being... Um, there's a lot of people saying, "Oh, you're hypersensitive." Yeah, I am hypersensitive. Right. Because <laughs> I got the sh- crap kicked out of me know Right. That I am and, hypersensitive.
1: And you're, you're welcome.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you
1: have a you have a different type of awareness. Um, yeah. That other people don't have. Yes. Yeah. Um. And some, you know, your body goes into protection mode sometimes, even when there's no need to to protect you, so to speak. Yeah. Um, Shift happens anyway. Love it. Yes. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: And I want to read something directly from your website that I thought was very interesting. So it says, (laughs) I was a 25-year-old theology, psychology major in college, and I was not only contemplating I was planning my suicide. I was drowning in sorrow, grief, deep sadness, anxiety, self-hatred, and rage. It got to the point where I convinced myself that the only relief, the only freedom was through my death. You were 25, so this Mm -hmm. was, what, 13 years after you and your family left the cult, so you would think, you know, by 25, you've adjusted, you're, you've embraced and fully found this new world and loving it and, you know, everything else. Yeah. But instead, you were planning your suicide. What happened in those, what happened between 12 and 20 <laughs> and 25 to where you was like, look, I'm I'm done with this thing called life. I'm done. Yeah. Well, first of all, it would
0: be wonderful. I would love it to do things that just magically have gotten better. But, um, I think honestly, the answer is nothing, nothing yeah. happened. And that's the problem is I spent the first 12 years of my life living in constant fear, um, getting abused, neglected, um, having no one having my back and fending for myself. And I just never had a chance or an opportunity to deal with anything that happened and it started to take over and it just it ate away at me and I felt like there's nothing to live for I'm living in constant fear that's I didn't know anything else I'd never experienced anything else and I'd only known you know and when you go through any sort of sexual abuse there's a lot of um, it's pretty standard that people deal with a lot of self-hate because you know there's there's just so many elements to that type of abuse, especially if it's someone you know. And, you know, there's just so many layers to that. So, um, you know, it, it's really just that none of that stuff ever got dealt with. And a wound that, <laughs> that gets uh, ignored just gets bigger. It doesn't go away. And we all want to pretend that it does, but it doesn't. And so it just gets bigger and it gets bigger and it gets bigger to the point that it was all-consuming. I just thought, there's, I mean, I don't see the point anymore. And, you know, even at that point, the reason I was in school was that I was driven towards theology and psychology was because I'd always had a faith. This is the irony of this whole situation, is that even even in such a horrible situation uh, with the cult and whatnot, is I already always had a very strong faith and a very strong connection to God. And um, I always felt like everything that I'd been taught was off. And there was something innate in me that just connected um spiritually but you know i went to school looking for answers even for myself that's why i was studying what i was studying and they weren't there and you know no amount of answers in your brain can heal your heart by the way (laughs) that's another side note um that's a good quote though (laughs)
1: That's a great. Quote. I know. I like that.
0: I just thought of that. That just came out. I like it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna
1: hold on to that. One. I'm gonna write that down. Yes. Yeah. You need to post that and and put your and put your name on it and. Yes. Yeah. So that that sums up life, right? In one sentence, the the interview like could end right now, and we've done a great show because of that one, like just that one line, just that one line, that, right? Yeah. That's so true. Mm. What what was the what was because obviously you didn't commit suicide.
0: Yeah, thank God.
1: What was? Yes, you're right. Thank Thank God. Literally, but I know yep. what that. Um, I always say like I I hit the brick wall so many times in in life, and the only thing, one of the only things that kept me from committing suicide because I don't like pain. Um, when I hit was at my lowest, and like mm. you know, what's the point of this? You know I hate everybody. <laughs> you know I hate Christ, everybody. Yeah. All this, all this stuff that happened to me was not my fault, but yet I'm the only. Everybody's running around here skipping, and I'm the only one that's dealing with it. You <laughs> feel alone, you know. Oh, for sure. And who's gonna miss me if I'm not here? Because no, no one loves me anyway. That's yeah. what your mind tells you. Yep. And and your heart's broken. You don't necessarily know why it's broke. You just know something's not right. Yeah. So what was it's that? True. What was that? That shift. When did the shift happen? What was that defining moment that you said, you know what? I definitely, I gotta be here. I gotta be here.
0: Well, I, you know, I'll tell you the truth. This was, uh, it was a total God thing. It was not a me thing. Um, <laughs> I was um, driving to school. Um, And I had it all, I thought it, I was thinking about it, thinking it through, how was I going to do it, how was that going to, you know, how was I, and my suicide is what I'm talking about. And um, I just felt a physical presence in my car, first time this ever happened to me. And, um, And I heard as close to an audible voice as I could, go to the hospital, go to the hospital, go to the hospital. And... I just over and over and over again. And I just felt this overwhelming because I knew this was it for me. Like I was, and I, it just felt compelling. I felt this, I felt peace, but I really felt a physical presence in my car with me. And so I just drove to the hospital. I was like, okay. (laughs) And I drove and I walked in and I went into the mental ward and through a series of, um, (laughs) by the way, there's another mm-hmm. side note. I'm real good with the side notes, apparently. Um, just because someone looks like they have it together on the outside, that means absolutely zero. Mm. That means zero. I walked into that um, mental ward and I had it all together. I was really good at making things look like I knew it, you know, that I was fine and everything was fine and I was okay and happy, et cetera, et cetera. I walked in there, told them what was going on, that I needed, I was, I'd been thinking about suicide. I needed to see somebody. Um, I sat there. I waited in the lobby for an hour. Um, <laughs> the lady um, then says to me, well, um, it looks like we're really booked up. And the psychiatrist can't see you for a week. Wow. And I think it's because she didn't believe me because I seemed fine. Right. And I lost my mind. And that's, that's when the, real, the truth came out. And I started throwing things and yelling and screaming. And I was like, oh, okay, so I can go kill myself right now and you're fine with that. And, (laughs) I mean, it was real dramatic and loud and whatnot, but I snapped. And she needed to see me snap, which was good, because she's like, okay, 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 we're good. I'll get you right
1: in. Right, right. uh,
0: But the reality is, is what I realized from that was that so many of us, we put on that face you have no idea what's going on underneath the surface. If you don't have an intimate relationship with someone or if you have not been a safe person for someone, which which means non-judgmental, loving, accepting of someone, you will never know what's going on under the surface. So do not assume that the face they give you is the true face of what's happening. Because that is, we all do it. We've been taught to do it. It's part of our culture. You know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just keep going and be positive and blah, 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 blah. Well, so we've been taught to do that, but we've not been taught to do that and deal with our stuff. How do those two things work together? Because that's a great principle, right, to be able to overcome and to do all of that. That's all very wonderful. But if you're doing that as a form of denial, again, the wound will continue to grow. It doesn't go away you've just learned how to mask it to everyone around you. And then that's how things happen when people say, you know, when people do commit suicide. And, you know, at least this is what I believe a lot of the times, uh, people around them, they're so shocked. They're like, I had no idea. I didn't see that coming. I was like, it's news to you. It's not news to the other person. (laughs) If they do that, it's because they're in so much pain that they can't survive the pain anymore of their life. And you didn't know they were in that pain, but just because you didn't know it didn't mean it wasn't going on for two years before it happened. Right. And that's just the reality. And we've we've learned in our culture, I really believe, to put on this face like everything's okay. And Mm -hmm. that is counterproductive. (laughs) It does not help anyone.
1: It It really um, doesn't. I I love that you said that and, you know, And this is where the shift happens in the interview. And we're going to shift back. But um, (laughs) years, I think I was like 28, 29, uh, and I'm 40, about to be 41 now. So it was a while ago. My uncle, who I loved dearly, like Mm -hmm. he was just, he was what a man was supposed to be. He was a Marine. When he got out of the Marines, he uh, became a fireman, and he would—he, you know—I come from a family full of girls, so he was—he was the man. Every man had to live up to him. He was, you know, most of us, you know, most of the girls in my family. There was no father figure. He was that to us, yeah. plus his own children, plus a, a a husband, plus this, plus that, and so when he committed suicide, it was. It was like what? You, you, yeah. It was it was earth shattering because it was so unexpected um, for us, you know. Because here's this strong, you know, marine and you know, fireman and you know, so and if you if I tell people if you know any Marines, you know, you don't know what's going on behind that face mm-hmm. because they are they are taught that. I do believe am yep. you know, all the Marines I know, they kind of have that you don't know what's going on. Like you got to actually happy, sad, glad, what's going on. Um, but he was so used to being strong for everybody else, so that's all we saw was him being mm-hmm. who he was for us, right? You know. So yeah. when he when he committed suicide, it was very. It just, it just seemed like. Who did Who did something? That's what we're looking at, somebody to blame. Because there's right. no way he had this much going on that he killed himself. Like we just didn't right. believe that. So um, right. I love that you said that, and I definitely suggest anyone that's going through it, find somebody, a professional to talk to, um, because it doesn't matter how the world sees you. And when I realized that, that that's an empowering mm-hmm. thing it's how I see myself. Yeah. You know, who who am I outside of, you know, my gender and, and my race? Who am I on the inside? What are those parts right. of me that has have, have no title? Right. That's what I had to learn to focus on, which this yeah. is when the interview shifts back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it, it's, I, I do believe, um, you know, that, Everything, the interviews and every, the shows go how they're supposed to go. And mm-hmm. so whoever's listening, I do believe that they're supposed to hear that part. Because a lot of times people will see that strong end of, of Miss Katie or that strong end right. of Valencia <laughs> and not know that whole back end of, right. of what, what went on. I didn't, I'm not Beyonce. I didn't wake up like this. Right, you know, so, you know, <laughs> right. you know yeah. that, the empowerment, oh that whole, you know, bold confidence that is Valencia had a breaking point. Right. Yeah. And for sure, you know, and I love that yeah. you touched on, you know, feeling that presence, um, you know, and unless someone experiences it or have a relationship with God, they don't understand it. But yeah. you you know you know when you're just praying and you know when you're when you feel like okay I have a direct line to heaven like somebody's hearing yeah. me at this moment uh, oh, yeah. you know like yeah. you know because you know you, know, we'll, you we'll yeah. get up yeah you, know, you can't shake like, it yeah you know when you done <laughs> tapped in the, the direct line and someone's listening yeah. and saving you at that moment and oh, it's something sure. it's hard to put into words
0: yeah but that it is, really is yeah. It's just so, one of those, yeah, you're like I, I have no idea how to describe it, but it was it's life changing. Right. Once you have it yeah. you you always know it.
1: Yeah. 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 And it's so hashtag amen. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> hashtag face works. Yeah, okay. You, you know. know. Yeah. It yeah, yeah. I always say the hashtag sometimes you just gotta hashtag amen it. Um, <laughs> so helping Women are helping people find their voice. Yeah. What What does that mean to you?
0: Well, you know, I like to use specifically the voice because um, you know a lot of people say find your power, find your and right, and it is that. It's that exact thing, but it's really finding your specific power which is your specific voice no one has a voice like you you know no one has your life no one has your experience and no one has your gifts or your skills or your experience in a way that they come together to make you uniquely you um and i think when i say finding your voice it's finding who am i what am i about what am i what do I care about, and what are the things that matter to me and what are the things that i um, I'm good at and i'm I, I have that are awesome like what is your awesome and mm. finding that and embracing that and being able to stand in that so that you can shed all the other stuff because I think we're all shrouded in expectations or you know, even society or gender or your family unit or your friends or your—you know—there's all sorts of stuff of who you should be, or you know that we we've even deemed as a society certain things, um, certain qualities that are the the good qualities, <laughs> and we say other ones aren't as good. Right. Um, or <laughs> certain, you know, we're like this is this is really good. If you're good at this, this makes you that super awesome. But eh. and so everybody's right. striving to be that. Rather than stopping and saying, no, 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 no. If none of that existed and I wasn't trying to live up to some external expectation and I gave myself permission to just be me, who is that? Because <laughs> that's, if you can stand in that, you can find your power. You can find your strength. Yeah. You can find your voice. And you stop caring. You just stop caring about, well, you know what? <laughs> I'm not good at that over there. Okay sweet right. she is awesome good for you right I'm doing this over so, it's, just, just, it's just it's irrelevant you know it's not a factor anymore because you feel good about you because you figured out what am I good at and who am and when I say good at i just I'm trying to use um, general language that people can relate to, but um, you know I used to i'll give you a specific example I even referenced this in the book a little bit of. Um, In my book, I've got some specific exercises on how to figure out, like, um, kind of who you are versus what you've been told you should be or what you've, you know, been buying into. Um, And even part of that is sometimes there are things about us that are actually good, but the world has attached shame to those particular qualities, and so we fight against them. And the qualities themselves are actually good, but we've bought into the cultural light of their bath. So an example would be bossy. Like, girl, I'm bossy, okay? I'm super right. bossy. It's, <laughs> I just am. And um, it, that was always something that was shameful, right? It was like, oh, no, right. you need to be more demure and obedient and amiable or whatever. I'm like, oh, gag. It makes me gag now to think about that. But, right. um, <laughs> but what I finally realized was like, you know who's bossy? God, real bossy. And he's pretty awesome. So I'm not going to feel shame about that anymore. And you know what bossy is? Bossy is called leadership. You know, when it's in its, when bossy is a shameful term, but leader is not. And it's the exact same qualities. To be a leader, you have to take control. You have to do it. You got to tell people what to do. You got to be seen as the bad guy. Some people aren't going to like it. Doesn't matter. That's what a leader is. And if you can reframe, Start just reframing. Well, who am I? What am I really? And I'm like, yeah, I'm bossy. But you know what? I'm real good at it. <laughs> and I'm a natural born leader. It's, um, so my take on a lot of this stuff is like reframing. You don't need to become somebody else. You don't need to focus on all your weaknesses and like trying to make those better.
1: Why don't you just figure out what, what you
0: are and own that and start walking in that and be like, yeah, girl. I'm bossy. You don't like it? That's okay. Right. You can go
1: somewhere else. You don't have to be under me. Like,
0: you don't have to listen to me. You know, and that's, you know, we just, um, I think culturally um, we do focus so much on fixing our weaknesses that that is actually a recipe for insecurity. It's a recipe for you to stay stuck in feeling bad about yourself and feeling insecure and not being able to have your own individual voice because you're spending all of your time trying to fix everything that's wrong with you rather than embracing everything that's right with you.
1: Mm. I, and, and that's where happiness comes in.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, that's an, And people don't realize, I, I see so many people, and I'm doing my air quotes Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) so many people in this empowerment space, air quotes, insert air quotes here, um, want to be be quiet and cute and let's all take the same kind of pictures and do the same kinds of poses and let's all be nice and sweet. Um, And I'm like, oh, that is so not me. (laughs) <laughs> and accepting my most empowering moment was when I accepted. Guess what? Yeah, I'm loud. I'm a little country. Sometimes I have an attitude. I don't like everybody because I don't like fake people. And guess what? I'm perfectly okay with that. And I and you know everybody doesn't like me, and I don't like everybody, and that's okay. And yeah. that, and God made me this way for a reason. Yeah. And that was empowering. And and I said that because yeah. we. A lot of times it's women, and I and I say women, but men too, but I'm a woman, so that's what I can relate to. We want people yes. to, every, everybody to like us. Everybody oh doesn't have to, to like me. My son likes me pretty good, my husband, my pets, um, <laughs> and I'm not going out, out there, you know, hurting people. So right. that's kind of, I'm, I'm good for the most and part. I,
0: yeah, and I think, you know, um, and number one, I totally agree with you. Women, we struggle with that. We're, we're nurturers. We want to, you know, we've got our emotions are on the forefront all the time. And so it's not bad to want to be liked. But right. that shouldn't run the show. You right. know, like that can't, that can't be what's driving you. It's right. always going to be there. And we all want to be liked. We want to connect. We're made for connection. Right. And so it's, you know, but it is, it can be become this weird driver that then you start to become someone you're not, or you mm-hmm. try to, you know, be what everybody else wants. And, you know, I want to, I want to say this too. Um, there's a, <laughs> there's this emphasis in this movement about, well, you just got to love yourself first. Okay. I'm just going to say my two cents on
1: that. I I
0: agree with that, but I'm going to put a little caveat to that. Loving yourself does not mean pretending everything about you is wonderful. Loving yourself is saying, this is who I am, good, bad, and ugly, and I'm going to work on the bad stuff or the flaws or the weaknesses the rest of my life. So I'm going to spend about 10% of my energy on that. (laughs) And that's about it, and that's all it gets. And I'm going to accept everything about me that's good, whether the world thinks it's good or not. Right. And whether other people like it or not. And loving yourself isn't about pretending or living in this weird fantasy world that somehow I'm just amazing and everyone is going to love me, it's, no, right? I'm pretty awesome. And there's going to be people that don't get it and they don't see it. And I'm totally okay with it. That's what I, it is. I, it's, right.
1: Yes, I 150% agree. Enough to say, girl, please. (laughs) (laughs) Girl, please. Girl, please. A reformed people-pleaser's guide to finding your voice. So, okay, first of all, what is girl, please? And let's talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) So... This is, you know, we
0: all, I, of course, and the, the extreme version with um, kind of having how I was raised and whatnot, I just learned to be what everyone needed me to be. That's how you say it's safe. So whatever you need, I learn how to be that. And so um, it's taken me a really long time to figure out how to just be me, right, and what does that actually mean, and who am I, and the book is more of a shortcut for people so they don't have to spend 20 years figuring that out. <laughs> it gives kind of a series of exercises for you, tools, to figure out um, what is it that you want to own about who you are? What is it that you want to claim? And why, doesn't it, why, why it doesn't work to be somebody else? And I give some real specific examples of how we do that and we try to be somebody else a little bit or we kind of we water down a version of ourselves to be more palatable to someone and how and why it still feels unsatisfying and you know we, we think oh well the, this will work this is i'm still sort of being myself <laughs> i'm being a version of myself now right. no 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 when you water it down like that it will still feel unsatisfying and you still won't you still aren't going to feel good because it's a watered down version, and you know it. And you're not getting any sort of validation or recognition for who you really are. You're getting validation or recognition for the person you've watered yourself down to be, and you know that's not your real self. <laughs> and so you don't. It doesn't feel satisfying. So stop doing it. <laughs> um, that's kind of the, the gist of it. But it's really just a. Um, I also go into specifics of sometimes, you know. Um, we have desires for our life, right? I have this spe- specific um, exercise in there about dreaming. So I, I have people take 10 minutes and just dream like big fantasy about your life, you know, like what is it going to be? Who could, it, you know, what would it be if you want, if it was everything, um, what would it look like? What would it feel like? What would your life be if, you know, you could have whatever you wanted, let's say. And um, what, what happens is I've worked with a lot of clients on this and it's, This subtle thing happens. We do this dream and then all of a sudden internally we go small. Mm. And we think, you watch yourself, all of a sudden talk yourself out of it. Oh, well, I can't really do that because, I mean, that's never going to happen. You know, and all these little creepy little um, false beliefs start coming in about how that's not possible for you for whatever reason. And you start poo-pooing your own dreams and so there's a lot of um there's ways to figure out what those things are and then to start challenging those belief systems are they you know is that really true that that's impossible for you like really because most likely someone else has had the dream and made it happen (laughs) let's be honest there's not a lot of new things going on in the world and so i mean there are but you know you get the gist of what i'm saying here it's Someone's probably already done some version of that. So it's not that it's impossible. You just believe it's impossible for you, which means there's self-doubt, which means you're not standing in confidence, which means you haven't fully owned who you are. Because if you owned who you are and you were able to really stand in that, you would start seeing your dreams as an extension of that person. And you'd be able to be like, oh, sweet, dude. I'm awesome. I'm going to make that happen. And it would be an easy (laughs) shift. You know what I mean? Right. But really, that's what would happen. If that's not happening, I guarantee there's a false belief around it. And underneath the false belief, it's usually stemming from some sort of doubt, some sort of self-doubt about whether you can do it, whether that's available to you, whether you're worthy of it, whether you get to have it. You know, there's so many of those kinds of things going on under the surface that we don't even know are happening. Um, and, you know, I had a client, um, at one point, and this is just kind of a random fun story, but she was, she wanted to start her own business and she had all these dreams and she actually was really a very talented artist and she was, uh, wanted to build a business around it and, um, work for herself. And she was teaching and she didn't want to teach anymore. She was like, oh my gosh, I'm just so over it. <laughs> like, you know, she's a school teacher. She's like, I just, I don't like it. And um, but she felt like she had to, you know, she felt like, I know, awful, probably not the right job. Um, but she's, you know, she's teaching, she's doing all these things. And, um, and through a series of us, you know, talking and having a few sessions, what came to the surface, because we did this exercise about the dream and whatnot, is that she realized that her parents had slaved to, you know, to provide for them. They Both her parents had both worked two jobs. And so in there, she'd gotten this somehow belief system that she had to kill herself doing something she didn't want to do to provide for her family because she had two kids and whatnot. Um, And, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff behind that. But the reality was is all she needed was this shift of realizing, oh, that's, I'm actually believing that underneath. And I was like, do you think that's actually true? Perhaps they did that so that you could live a different life than they did. Right. And, she went through this process and she just shifted. And it sounds, you know, we're, I'm saying it like, and you, pro- you know, people are probably thinking, oh, yeah, duh. <laughs> but we have all of those things happening all the time underneath, right, of like these little belief systems that are keeping us stuck, little belief systems around who we are, what we could be, what our life could look like. And all it takes is just a little bit of time and a little bit of attention to be like, without judgment, and letting those things come to the surface and saying, oh, well, that's stupid. I don't want to believe that anymore. That's right, not working. Right. <laughs> and then you just, and it, it can take a subtle shift. And it, you know, for me personally, it took years to realize that it is actually that little bit. There's a lot of just small, subtle shifts that you can make that don't, that aren't these big, heavy things. And sometimes there are heavy things, and they do take time. Um, but you know, even myself coming from all that abuse, the things that have brought the most power into my life for me personally have been not just the healing from the abuse itself, but realizing what I believed about who I was and about who the world was around me because of what happened. It wasn't what happened that damaged me the most, it was who I believed, what I believed, how worthy I was or unworthy I was, how disgusting I was, how, you know, the world was unfair, all of those things. right? That formed the way I I showed up in the world. It informed what I experienced. It informed what I received. And it wasn't like good things weren't coming to me. I just wasn't able to fully receive them or accept them because of my viewpoint and the way that I was experiencing the world. And it was a valid thing, right? You know, we go through these things. It's not like my experience did teach me some really unfortunate lessons that I had to then unlearn. But um, all of that, that was a really long explanation. I apologize. <laughs> For, I like
1: I just went off on a tangent. I'm real good at those. Um, but,
0: you know, finding your voice is about identifying some of that stuff that you believed in saying and making a conscious choice about, yeah, I don't want to believe that anymore.
1: I, I love that. It, it was a long exla- explanation, but it was good. If it was long <laughs> and bad, a whole other thing. But it was it was long and good because you hit on so so many points. Um, kind of like being a statistic. You know, you could believe the statistics, or you could say, you know, bump that. I choose different. Yeah. And, I'm going to see different. I'm going to do different. And mm-hmm. part of me not being a statistic was I was just too stubborn to believe <laughs> that other people were going to tell me how my life is supposed to go. Right. Like, being stubborn saved my life. I I tell people that like I just yeah. because, just because people say you're going to do this, you're going to be that. I was like, uh, have you met me? My first right. word was no. So, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. but in, in all that, and this is what I definitely want the audience to take from, you know, the, the show and, and finding their voice, and it's just even, like, when you find it, a lot of times until you find it, you don't know that you lost it. Right, yeah. I didn't realize that I had lost my voice until I actually found my voice. Mm. and yeah, that's good that may not make sense to anyone else listening but it makes sense to me
0: <laughs> yeah
1: no i get it you don't know
0: how much i would say the exact same thing i didn't know how much power i had given away until i actually got it back
1: then you were like then i miss kate i bet you were probably like okay now i know i'm superwoman i found my kate i'm good to go yeah Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. It's like all of a sudden it just clicks,
0: and you're like, oh, my gosh, are you serious? Right. Like, Like, I am awesome, and I could have been living like this for 20 years, but okay. Putting on a fresh (laughs) pair of
1: contacts. Yeah. You know, like putting on a fresh pair of contacts, all of a sudden you Mm -hmm. see stuff you've been missing the whole time. Absolutely. (laughs) And, you you know, I mean, I want to say
0: from a grace perspective, For anyone that's listening, I mean, it is a process, and you got to give yourself permission to go through the process. You're not going to, like, magically wake up, you know, one day, and all of a sudden everything's better, and you feel really great about life. It's a step-by-step process that sometimes starts, it speeds up over time, like, and then all of a sudden, you do have that, like, aha moment sometimes where things shift, and then it's a a true shift, but, like, I mean... like it's okay if it doesn't happen for you that way. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was yeah. close to close to thirty and I'm still realizing more and more about me every day. So, you know, that's yeah. one thing people need to realize too. I think Zig Ziglar said it, like motivation is like a bath, you need to do it every day. Yeah. Um and you definitely have to have to consciously focus on Having better days and being a better a better you for you, Mm -hmm. and it's a lifetime journey, which is why they to get the book. Girl, amen. Girl, please. (laughs) (laughs) So, how can they get the? How can the audience get the book and connect with you?
0: Well, right now, um, the book is available as a Kindle version or a paperback version through Amazon, so you can find it there. Um, you can connect with me via my website, which is shifthappensanyway.com or you can find me on Instagram at um, backslash kt holbert, just the letters kt. Um, those are kind of good ways to connect with me. I'm also on Facebook at backslash freedom joy living. Yeah, yeah those are the best ways. And the book, Yay. I'm hoping to extend it to other. I'm on Goodreads as well, but. I'm hoping to extend it to other, um, like Barnes and Noble, that kind of thing. But that's a work in progress at the moment.
1: Understood. A great analogy for life. A work in progress. Yes, Nick, yes. <laughs> exactly. K, you have dropped so many great tips, and it was such a fun show. A fun and learning. And guys, you could be seriously funny. Have some serious fun. I think that sounds yeah. good. What what tip would you like to leave the audience with? What if they don't take anything else from the show? What is the one thing that you want to stick in their heads? Permission.
0: Start giving yourself permission. Permission to walk whatever road you need to walk, whatever you need to do to get free and find your voice. Just it starts with you giving yourself permission to walk the road if you can do that
1: half of your
0: obstacles just melt away when you do that
1: love it and let me add hashtag amen (laughs) 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 i know i'm hashtag amen they know i say it amen girl Uh, yep With that being said, thank you so much Miss Katie and welcome to the Define You Radio family. It's been a great show. I hope you guys have been taking notes. Make sure you connect with Miss Katie at www.shift that's with an F at the F <laughs> anyway.com Her information will also be on Define You Radio's Facebook page Get the book, Girl Please and Get so you guys could, you know, be reformed people pleasers. It's 2018. Like, let's get into some some new stuff, some better stuff. Let's be the best version of ourselves and whatever that means to us. Pens and papers down. Class is officially over. Until next time, remember your past doesn't define you. It gives you definition. And what you do with that, well, it's up to you. Y'all have a great day, and I'll see you guys on the next show. Thanks
0: for listening to Define You Radio. Make sure you connect with the show at www.defineuradio.com. Pens and papers down. Class
1: dismissed.